You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Showtime. We are all back together again for yet another episode. Yes, another one. They keep letting us do this thing week by week. <laughs> I've waited for the cease and desist every day in the mail. I check it, and it hasn't come yeah. yet. So until it then, would almost be a relief at this point. You just <laughs> <It> would. <laughs> a lawsuit would be a relief at this point. You're like God, finally. We. Uh, That's been the goal. We're just waiting on a lawsuit to come in the mail, and then we just all walk our separate directions. If you like want to sue film. us for, if you want to sue us, listener, for a waste of time. You you have the complete right to do that, and we can't fight you. Um, so thank you for wasting your time with us each and every week, and you're wasting it again here now with us, uh, Brian, Kent, and Richard, uh, with you again. Oscar season is in the full swing of things, guys. I feel it. I, I feel like uh, it's more Oscar season than it is autumn right now in Texas because it's definitely yeah. kind of still summer here. So Oscar season <laughs> yeah. is more what it is in my opinion, but it's been, sure. uh, it's been good. And you know, what's been great about all this. And, and we say this every year around this time, it's just good to, to watch good movies again, or, or it's mm-hmm. good to just look forward to movies again. Um, at sure. least going <laughs> into them, whether we like them or not coming out is one thing, but at least going in, we at least have anticipation. Um, there were a lot this summer and a lot earlier this year. And definitely the first two, three months of this year where we did not want to go to the movies every week. Um, but Medea you... really turned it around for us. So <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Trick or treat. <laughs> Chappelle had a really great joke on uh, SNL and his monologue about no one ever thought Donald Trump would be president and no one ever thought. Uh, Tyler Perry's Boo Medea would be number one or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's literally the exact same thing. It's just kind of like, well, guess there's an audience for that. <laughs> well, guess there are people that voted Trump. I don't know them, but I guess there's an audience for that. You know, kind of a thing. Uh, it's uh, it's a mystery, but it's still in the theater. Like, who goes on November 21st? Like, one for Boo, please. <laughs> I don't understand that. Um, what if? But what if we both went though? Then it's not weird if we, you and I both went. No. That that would be uh, that would be acceptable. Okay, uh, cool. So if you're not if you're free like later this week, like yeah. Speaking guess, of Oscar season, guess the boo with me, boo. <laughs> of course, boo. Okay. Uh, I wonder how many Halloween posters they like offensively ripped off for that too. <laughs> like iconic movie posters that they've just kind of tainted forever in our minds. Um, but thank you, Tyler Perry. No, I like Tyler Perry. I think he's got a lot of talent. We we actually enjoy his work. Not Medea. But uh, other stuff. He, yeah, I like uh, him a lot. As he's a, a lot as a he's a great creative mind and all that. But I feel like Medea has always been just a ripoff of the Clumps or uh, Big yeah, Mama's it's house. Like it's clumps, like the Clumps and Big Mama's house put together. It's Ernest. <laughs> Ernest, which Ernest? Scared stupid or yeah, for boobs, um, maybe scared stupid. <laughs> I've always been partial to, uh, or like maybe a little bit of dwarf. Remember Dorf? Dorf on golf? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Dorf yeah. on golf. Yeah. Man, one of the first comedic experiences in my life. One of the first was like real comedic experiences. Uh, of course, Mel Brooks, uh, Spaceballs, of course, very early. And uh, Dorf on golf, too. <laughs> one of the first, we like. Can, we can tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, outside of like watching um, 
you know, kids cartoons or whatever it was. That was the first like uh comedy outside of my um school group uh realm that I would watch. Um but it was funny. Uh, I I didn't own it. I think a friend had it or something and I saw it and I was just like this is Contraband the most dwarf. random random thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so random. I I just didn't understand <laughs> it's why It's completely built around <laughs> Like, uh, it's one of those things is like, how much cocaine were we on people? Yeah. They've gone way. <laughs> that, that was like, what I'll do is, uh, you know, I'll just put, uh, put, put my shoes, shoes on my, on knees. my knees. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's the bit. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> golf. Wow. I haven't thought about Dorf on golf in probably seven years, but that's funny. Here's some trivia for you. Uh, he was such good friends with, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's father that he like basically raised Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, and we have him to thank for Boogie Nights and uh, you know all the great uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films is all thanks to Dorf. No, you got it wrong. He's he actually raised Paul W S Anderson. So we have <laughs> to thank for all the I don't know Resident Evil movies. Resident Evil films. Um, yeah. Good. yeah, good. Common misconception. Well, that's I shouldn't make it because as you know I have. Mila tattooed on my inner arm. So I should be better than that. All right. So we're here to talk Arrival tonight. And this has been an anticipated one for a while. And uh, I guess we can leave it at that. It's going to be a fun discussion. And uh, it's always good to talk about the... uh, the outer worlds, the uh, the bigger conversations outside of just how was the movie good or not, but the movies that yeah, kind of inspire yeah, that... the the conversation and all that, I I always enjoy. So sure. gonna look forward to that. But it's been a kind of a busy couple of weeks here um, in Mad About Movies Land. So we appreciate all the emails and everything that we've been getting lately. I've really been enjoying them, and uh, you can always tweet us and do that. Uh, Mam underscore podcast is the official Twitter. Uh, but we each have Twitter and all that. And I just wanted to say, just right off the top, appreciate the emails lately. I've been really, really uh, enjoying them and, and keep, them, keep them all coming. So, some trailers have dropped. And we've gotten a couple emails about this one and some thoughts. And I'm interested to hear yours. Uh, we're continuing. We actually had a discussion a couple weeks ago about the hypothetical, which, what, what is Disney going to do next as far as the live-action remakes of their animated films, the classic Disney movies. And we talked about uh, the fact that Cinderella had come out and Jungle Book and all these uh, that have done very well, and we were just talking about what's going to come next. And, uh, well, it turns out, I mean, next on the docket, officially, um, is coming out next year, and it's Beauty and the Beast. And Mm -hmm. the official trailer, the teaser had come out a couple weeks ago, but it was nothing more than, I think, an actual remake of the actual first trailer of uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, first teaser of the animated version, just a live action mm-hmm. version of that. And, uh, I think they're kind of continuing the trend now because this feels like an exact, uh, version of the original Beauty and the Beast movie, yeah. just with live action. It's a little more than I had anticipated or maybe want in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Some people, I, I mean, there's a weird bridge you kind of have to cross. I feel like, John Favreau really crossed that line perfectly of paying homage to the original while still doing something that that felt fresh and not like a complete ripoff of the anime. Like you, it's not like you're doing a Gus Van Zant Psycho shot for shot remake just in live <laughs> action. You know what I mean? Like 
they I didn't feel like that with the Jungle Book, but I'm yeah, kind of yeah. feeling or Cinderella. I or Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah, I thought it was a it was a fun take on it and definitely a different way to do it. And I, I'm a little more scared for this one though. This seems a little more uh, and like uh, relying on worrying on offending the people that grew up and love Beauty and the Beast than it is anything else. And um, that worries me a little bit. And I, I just don't know if they're going to do all the songs and everything. Um, they're going to use those sparingly, if there's going to be a full-on musical like the original or what, I, I don't know. But uh, it just kind of, it was kind of jarring just kind of how much it reminded me of the animated movie, which is great. But it just, I just didn't anticipate that. Like, the, even like Mrs. Potts and Chip and everything, and they all mm-hmm. just looked yeah. like a, a, an exact, uh, I guess, live action version of the animated one, which is fine. Just, I mean, even in the, like, the, uh, the way they're moving around and everything, like the, the pots and everything, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but this wasn't it, I guess. I just I didn't expect it to be this close to the animated version. But what did you guys yeah. think? No, I'm with you. It's really that trailer really looks like it. The movie has painted the picture that the movie is a shot for shot uh, live action version of the animated feature, which, you know, is probably guaranteed to make you a ton of money. But I don't know. I think one of the reasons why we we liked Cinderella was despite the fact that it really wasn't, you know, we're not the target audience is because it kind of went back to kind of the original story of Cinderella instead of just making it the Disney animated version of Cinderella brought to life. You know what I mean? Like there was a little bit more um, depth to it and, and a little uh, just shades of differences. And I even sure. felt like that with Alice in Wonderland, to be honest, I felt like they went more to the source material on those kinds of things. than they did just, we're going to do the Disney movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I felt like they took more creative Liberty with it. I don't feel like that with this. So continue. Yeah, that's I agree. That's how I'm at where I'm at with that. It's a it could totally change once we actually get into the movie obviously, but I mean, I watched Beauty and the Beast fairly recently last month, maybe 6 weeks ago. Uh, it came out on Blu-ray and I bought it, showed it to my kid and um so like all the notes in the trailer, all the scenes really truly look exactly like what took place in the animated movie. So that I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It could be a very solid film. I I have a hard time believing that we are going to come out of it. If it is that, in fact, that way, if it just is a a shot-for-shot remake, essentially, I have a hard time feeling like we're going to come out feeling super impressed by it. Like I I feel like we're going to come out saying, oh, that was was pretty good. It's a B, B plus, that kind of thing. And that's, you know, that's never what we're really looking for in this situation. Yeah. Richard? Yeah, no, the same thing. I think um, I'm interested in this one because, you know, Cinderella, like aforementioned, was was, uh, you know, kind of its own thing, and Jungle Book was certainly uh, paid some homage, but was its own thing. They're doing a Little Mermaid um, next, which I think will be interesting to see how they pull that off. Mm-hmm. But also, it's got um, they hired Lin Manuel Miranda as a composer, and uh, yeah. so yeah. I think he's going to do a lot of original songs for Little Mermaid. So. You know, it won't be just uh, the music from uh, the animated versions. It'll be cut. So that's that seems to me like a move uh, towards a unique new film. You know, um, so this one kind of, and and it might just be, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, just really brilliant uh, marketing to really appeal to those fans and get them fired up for it. And then it'll be, it may have some twists and turns that play off of the animated film being its own thing. I hope, I hope that's more what it is. I like the casting a lot. And I think it'll, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast is a cool 
uh, movie, and uh, I I love uh, I'm a uh, a straight straight man, but I love me some Luke Evans. I'm pumped to see him as Gaston. And uh, and uh, did I protest too much on that one? With the, the I should I should have just said straight one. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, but no, he's great. He's one of my favorite actors and people, and I'm really excited for for uh for him in in that role and and uh and watson as well so i'm still cautiously optimistic the marketing is super fan servicey that keeps makes me a little worried but i'm i'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that that's just marketing because you know a lot of times those two parts of a film are totally different people and maybe that's you know uh, i don't know we'll see you i i will i will hope for the best for the worst. Yeah, they really play up the nostalgia factor with these, the marketing of these. And case in point, the Cinderella, I think, poster was just the glass slipper. Like, that was the poster. Yeah. Like, hey, remember mm-hmm. the glass slipper from Cinderella? <laughs> you know, it's just like right, right. all these things that are imbe- embedded in your mind. Um, like the rose in Beauty and the Beast. Like, I'm sure that's going to be the uh, poster for this. Just the rose in the glass, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll That'll be good. We do we ever talk about uh, the next two that they announced? Do they have announced two more? Um, John Favreau's staying on board and is doing The Lion King, and that's another one where how much like are they gonna have? I just can't wait to be king in some in some way and do all uh, you know all the Hakuna Matata and the high, iconic numbers, or is it gonna be? more realistic, like, uh, African safari style, uh, I don't know, um, that's, that's an, that's one that yeah, you that can take a lot of creative freedom with. And it's got the Broadway show as well, you uh-huh. know, to, uh, adapt from, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's got, uh, which is its own unique take on that story, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly, that one's gonna be, that one's gonna be really interesting. That one's gonna be I would huge. Imagine. Oh yeah. Think about that. John Favreau like the trailer is even gonna say from the person who brought you Jungle Book and Iron Man, you know? Yep. Like people are gonna already ha- have trust and in Cowboys that. And, and then it's like boom, Lion King, everyone's gonna be freaking out when that trailer comes out. I cannot wait for that to hit the internet. If the internet still mm-hmm. exists, then we don't know. <laughs> it might not exist then. So That's we true. will be in the safe in the clear. Uh that that We'll if, you don't back have, radio. if you don't have Jonathan Taylor Thomas reprise his role as Simba, like huge missed opportunity, yeah, what's guys. The point? Yeah, sure. Voice work, like how perfect would that be if they got the original I need some, voice cast? I need gonna need some Nathan Lane though. Yeah, even more JTT. You gotta have Timon and Puma be the same. Like, why would you not have <laughs> the same voices? Like, you can't have anyone else. Honestly, I gotta understand why you don't have the same. When I was a young warthog, <laughs> James Earl Jones as Mufasa. Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons is grizzled, scar. yeah, grizzled Jeremy Irons in a in a mane, like really haphazard makeup. I'd pay, I'd pay. Eight bucks Get Elton that. John to do the soundtrack again, you know? Yeah, no, I, I'm on board. <laughs> when, when the movie opens, it's gonna be a real like sunrise. I guarantee you, it's gonna be the have the iconic. You, you can't open the Lion King any other way, but you know, yeah, yeah, you can't. It's sin. It's like you can't open Star Wars without Star Wars in, <laughs> in your face. Okay, uh, so that's coming out, and and also 
Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. Mm. They announced that Aladdin with Guy Fastest Ritchie. Fastest talking Aladdin ever. Wonder what they're gonna. Yeah, he is a. He's a lot of slow mo, and he's doing magic. <laughs> Just really slow shots. It goes really, really fast and slow. And really, really fast and slow. I like Guy Ritchie though. He's got some flair. He he's pretty solid at what he does. I, you, I mean, you can knock him for the whole Madonna thing or whatever. He, you know, he's he's more known for that than he is actually his movies. Yeah. His movies are actually pretty good. So, you know, the thing with him is. He doesn't always make good movies. Uh, I think he's got several movies to his credit that we would like. No one wants to claim, really, and it kind of looks like King Arthur <sighs> movie's going to be more like that. But you are I always aware actually... that you're watching a Guy Ritchie movie. You know? Yeah, like, he, has he has a, a style. very totally. unique style. So I think the Disney, I think Disney saw the King Arthur movie because it's mm-hmm. Sword in the Stone, basically the story they're doing. Right. They probably right. saw that and they were convinced they could do it property like that you know i bet that was selling all right sure. sherlock holmes too, kind of in a way mm-hmm. kind of the same target audience or you were to do an aladdin so that could be different obviously robin williams won't be involved and they've already i think we talked about a couple weeks ago that you can't use his voice because um that's part i mean his family owns that still they all i mean they can't use recordings that he did when he recorded the voiceover for Aladdin. There's a lot of outtakes yeah. and stuff. They they had they said they had enough audio to do two sequels with just the audio of him improving Genie. And so that's out of the question. So there's a lot of stuff you could do with the Genie there. And just Aladdin is just a very different kind of a story. Um, so it'll be. How do you guys feel that. about. Uh... How do you guys feel about Leslie Jones as Jeannie? <laughs> she she'll be screaming the whole time, yeah. so I hope he very uh, loud his earplugs. Yeah. No, uh, I don't know. My I first don't... wish is earplugs, please. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was really good. All right, so yeah, trailer talk. Good times. Thanks, Beauty and the Beast. You're you're exactly kind of what I thought you would be be honest actually now that i think about it um i just wish you were more that's that's, yeah that's that's kind of kind of it and maybe you will be we don't know maybe you will all right well before we talk arrival let's uh do something we haven't done in quite a while and it's long overdue again and that's talk american treasures yeah yep yeah calm down peanut gallery okay we are here to induct or nominate some people tonight to join our illustrious Hall of Fame, which we keep on our website, the American Treasures Hall of Fame. It's pretty official. Um, ask the Google. Just Google American Treasures, and you might find us on there. I don't know. You could find out for yourself. But we have this Hall of Fame, and it's just people that uh, we've come to know and love over the years, and we kind of want to make them official and give them their official vest, denim vest, by the way, with American flag lining and a eagle on the back, and it looks great on most of these people. Um, we, we should actually post some of the pictures that they send us in the vest, uh, in a photo gallery. We might do that. But American Treasures, you actually, there's three uh, basically requirements. You have to be 50 years old or in your business for 25 years. You have to have a sense of humor about yourself, and you have to be a citizen of America. So that's pretty much it. And anything goes. Uh, we induct people from 
pop culture, entertainment, uh, any pretty much anybody who could be considered well known or enough to be an American treasure or have contributed enough to American society is up. And so, with that, two out of three wins, and Brian, you can begin. I'm going to nominate a uh, a person who I've loved for a long time and who has brought me so many laughs over the years in a couple of different roles. Um, but I've just been, just recently been kind of fully immersed in one of his more famous roles, one of his more famous characters uh, from the from the 90s, early 90s, early to mid 90s. Uh, he is doing incredible work these days, uh, winning uh, winning Emmys left and right, seems like every year. Um, and it, he's great on the show that he's on now. But for me, he will always he will always uh, have a place in my heart for George Bluth Sr. So I'm going to nominate American Treasure Jeffrey Tambor. Hey now. Yes. Hey now. Yes, the, my Larry Sanders uh, <laughs> binging has, has brought, not that I didn't already have a huge appreciation for Mr. Tambor as it was, but uh, I watched seeing him there has, oh. has brought it full circle. I watched the one where they did the remote. I watched a couple days ago. I just watch random ones when I have 30 minutes on HBO mm-hmm. go now. And the one where they send him to that like house in middle America to live with that family, he just ruins their life. Have you gotten <laughs> yes. to that one yet? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. So great. Uh, you know, that we've I've talked so many times. I know that's your favorite show of all time, Richard. And then having recently watched it, um, I talk about it a lot as well. It is so amazing to me how they are able to blend uh the three styles of humor that Tambor and Sanders, I mean, uh, excuse me, and Chandling and uh, and Rip Torn have together. I think Rip Torn is the funniest part of the oh, show. Yeah. Um, but he also kind of has the easiest job. I think. Yeah. I, I, I think I think Tambor in a lot Kill of a man ways, like you in Korea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pilot episode, man. Uh, but I think Tambor kind of holds it together in some ways. Yeah. Like he has a little bit more understandable humanity to him um i mean shanling is doing it i mean that's the whole bit of the whole point of his bit is that you know he's a comedian and he's on top of his game but he's you know he's also a human and he's very sensitive and stuff um hank kingsley is like an actual human i guess i don't know i think his i think what he brings to the show if you replaced him if you if you did a like a baseball analogy and you replaced him with a with a league average uh third wheel I don't know how. I, I think the movie, that show is still very good, but it's yeah. not. He's got a is. high war. Is what war yeah, his, his 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 war is just off the charts. So. <laughs> cool. I'm. I vote yes. I, obviously, two of my favorite shows of all time. I haven't seen Transparent, but obviously, it's great. Everyone everyone says there's just too much TV now. Mm-hmm. So I would say. I mean, granted, given the awards that's gotten, he's in three of the best TV shows of the last thirty years. That that's yeah. not a bad run. Uh, Kent, bad. what say you? I say yes. I would have voted yes just for if he had, if he was just uh, George Blue Senior, he would have been worthy. Same. Yeah, same. He's that was so, that, oh, that so was a good enough role to yeah. be American Treasure forever. Not to mention yeah. sense of humor about oneself. He totally. he's up there. Totally. Yeah. He's totally up there. Agree. He seems very receptive and happy to be there and all that. And I love I love what he's doing. I love that he's still doing stuff. He's not one dimensional at all. You know. He's, he's not uh, one 
trick pony by any means. So and has been a an improv and acting teacher to a lot of people who we love too. Is a really respected teacher in that world as well. So very cool. Jeff- hey, welcome to the club, American Treasure Jeffrey Tambor. Very very cool. Welcome, welcome Jeffrey. I'm going to nominate this evening. Actually, let's just do the whole cast of Larry Sanders. Let's just do Gary Shandling, <laughs> Rip Torn. Easy. Done. David yeah. Spade. No, just kidding. Janine Garofalo. <laughs> no. Uh, that can't work because Jeremy Piven is in the cast of Larry Sanders. Ooh, that's true. He's in his guy. He's in the category, the Pivens. He's got his <laughs> own fair. category. He's named after him. Yeah. It's, it's the anti-American treasure. Yeah. Right. We've discussed them. Okay. It's just him and the Clippers hanging out. <laughs> the Pivs. Such a piv. All right, I'm going to nominate somebody who has brightened our lives many a times in the past and somebody who doesn't brighten our lives nearly enough, in my opinion. Um, we mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we should have talked about him at length a little bit more, but um, comedic icon, somebody who has appeared in pretty much in any anything and everything over the years. Uh, still, you could you're know putting him Cosby from, back in, aren't you? Yeah. Going back with Cosby. No. That was Brian. Oh, okay. Okay. That was Brian. And that was Brian. <laughs> so somebody who has definitely, I mean, you could know him from 5 million different things, uh, depending on who you ask. And I think that's cool in its own right. And just sense of humor about oneself is off the charts. Uh, I'm going to nominate American treasure, Fred Willard. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but on a side note, and this might be unrelated, how much do you think I could bench press? Just ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. All right. No, he's Fred Willard. He's seventy-seven yeah. from Ohio, and has definitely been in the business for a long, long time. Yeah. Um. In, in the, yeah, and in theaters uh, around the world, you know, for longer than that. <laughs> Um, but he, he, uh, no, he is one of the funniest pound for pound people of all time. And, and, and in, you're right, Kent, in so, in so many different things. There's the Christopher Guest stuff. There's guest star on every show ever. There's other roles in films. He's just so solid. I used to, I remember him from, he used to do bits with Leno like every week. Yeah. For yeah, I remember that a too. long time in the 90s, like mm-hmm. late 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I remembered him from that, but then I got more familiar with him with, because of Best in Show and the other Christopher Guest stuff, and and he just shows up in random stuff all the time, and it's all like Anchorman and things like that, and yeah, you just you're like, man, that guy's funny, man, he needs yeah. to be in more stuff, you know. He, um, he was great on Everyone Loves Raymond, an mm-hmm. underrated Fred Willard thing where he played Robert's father-in-law, the real. That was, I know it's a random pull for me, but he was outstanding on that. Yeah. I think what's great about him more than anything else is that you can, I, I, I love a comedian who you can literally throw into any circumstance. And I feel like the entire property just bumps up a notch oh, yeah. from, yes. from a funny standpoint. Like, into any circumstance and give him one line and you yeah. know it's going to be funny. own that line. Yeah. And I, I also feel like, I feel like he brings everybody up too. Like I think you can put him like we're we're not really all that funny. We we think we're funny. If you put us around Fred Willard, I think we would automatically become funnier. Uh, yeah. Because he like kind of I don't know. It's like having a great point guard or something. Like he just makes everybody around him a little bit better, and that's that's quite a tad. That's quite a skill. He uh 
and he's kind of a comedic George Clooney in a way. By that I mean he kind of always does the same bit. Sure. But it's such a great kind of amorphous bit. It can fit in you know, you could Clooney always kind of plays Clooney, but you can put him in a million different types of movies and he like just sort of fills the movie. Mm-hmm. And in Fred Willard's like he always just kind of plays the oh boy, gosh, isn't this great? <laughs> oh yeah. You know, he kind of plays this this rube from Ohio um that is kind of always kind of slow to the everything mm-hmm. but it works in everything you can always the joke's always on him but he never lets it up but he's also kind of funny too i mean i mean that, take a look at archetype... his yeah take a look at his filmography i mean he did stuff with mike myers stuff with oh, yeah. uh, uh adam sandler and i mean every kind of kind of comedy genre that we grew up with he kind of had a piece of it mm-hmm. american pie what uh, happened yeah. Hey, what happened? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What did happen? Um, That's just... <laughs> Wally, very underrated. Oh uh, yeah, Wally, like the one human character in Wally, basically, or the yeah. Um, so that's fun. Fred Willard, man, hundred percent American Treasure. This yeah, is Spinal absolutely. Tap was probably the first thing that he did yeah. where it kind of opened him up to do the mockumentaries and everything later in his mm-hmm, life mm-hmm. um but i mean that's great too so fred willard american treasure welcome welcome fred richard who are you bringing yeah so mine is an interesting choice um i've been working on this one for a while piecing together the argument i think you guys are really going to enjoy i have six or seven pages uh <laughs> ready here of argument gosh is he going to so, bring up chad no kroger way. again Dad, damn it all the lights just went out of my house. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no. Guys, I What's am free. It's okay. Oh, no. Oh, you heard it. He's here. Hold on. American treasure. We gotta wait 11 minutes for him to come down the uh, ramp. <laughs> All right. It literally takes 11 minutes talk. to come down the ramp. <laughs> you guys just want to fill it with small talk while he comes down? <laughs> no, we're we're waiting on you. <laughs> So I'm going for it. American Treasure, The Undertaker, or what? Yeah, but... 30 years? 30 years? I I feel... Okay, you're right. But I feel a bit blasphemous, in a way, for us to... For The Rock not to be the first wrestler that we induct into the (laughs) Hall of Fame. Like, that would only feel appropriate, given the Fast and Furious love that we have on the show, right? But The Undertaker has been around longer. He's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> and we do currently have a WWE Hall of Famer as our president-elect. Yeah. And so I think in, it, it's it's fitting now, fitting yeah, time. Any and, good is going to come of this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fitting time, I think, for, for I mean, an Undertaker shows up at the Cavaliers uh, championship uh, celebration showed up at that random Starbucks on crutches. You know, he got that guy a Little League bat inside that sporting goods store. I mean, what else do you want? I mean, there's got, he, he was in Kent's office last year. Yeah. Kent and I got to see him inside of a Hell in a Cell. Yeah, we got to do the cage match. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was great. Watch a 61-year-old Undertaker nearly kill himself. It was a great time. So, I mean... He is I mean, the most American treasure of all. Like... <laughs> He should be the president-elect of the American Treasure Hall of Fame. <laughs> He'll look the coolest in the vest, too, with the sleeve tats. 
Oh, yeah, totally. You know what's kind of... I mean, we haven't talked about the election at all. This is my one thing I'll say about it. You, If you were to poll Americans and seriously poll them, like, who would you <laughs> rather have leading your country? Who do you, No, who would you trust more to lead your country? Donald Trump or The Undertaker? <laughs> uh, I feel like a lot of people would, like really choose the undertaker over you know what i mean like honestly like i feel like i could trust him a little bit more than Don- <laughs> like donald trump is a little too sketch but i'd rather have the freaking undertaker running the country than him like that's just kind of the level we're on um but that's that's funny in its own right but undertaker should run for office i'd vote for him <laughs> don't change your name either i don't yeah. want to know what your real name is just says undertaker in the year and, the, and there's no flags or anything. It's just a black sign and with white letters. Undertaker 2020, yeah. <laughs> let's, All right, let's so then we got two-thirds. All right, Brian, I won't make Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Because, look, here's the deal. I think wrestling is super stupid, and I don't get it at all. But... Oh, and I do, too, but we just go to it all the oh, time. Oh, it is stupid. That's what's <laughs> but... great about it. That's, that's, that is, Brian, you... <laughs> How do you not I know, get this? I know, I know. You guys have that the exact same because it's so ridiculous. You tried it's to sell me on live this a thousand times. Show. It's okay. It's fine. Like it's I not. Don't get it's how you not love Fast me. and the Furious. I don't. I don't but like Fast it. and Furious. Is see, this is where your logic no, is. No, Fast and the Furious is actually a documentary. So now I <laughs> much more real. I I don't get wrestling at all. I never have. And yet, my point is, I don't understand all that at all. And I totally understand the Undertaker. So it's three three yes votes totally. No question. He's just gonna to be to our next event, please. He's gonna be in the in the American Treasure Hall of Fame as just Undertaker, not not his real name, just the <laughs> no, word Undertaker. I never want to know what it is. I never want to know what it is. You don't know his honest. name? I do. I'm sure I've Googled it at some point, but I don't want to know. It's not Richard in my brain. I, Richard and I have a bit where um, whenever Richard gets married, he's going to invite the Taker <laughs> to his wedding to be part of the the wedding party. Like obviously, like the yeah, I don't know. The, one of the groomsmen and my job is just to sell everyone in the in in attendance on uh the long-term friendship that richard and the taker have have developed over the years and just i, just I always really thought it would be it. great you know sometimes you go to the weddings and the groom groom and groomsmen have a processional at the beginning like they they walk down the aisle so like <laughs> i would go first and then uh or no no like you know my first groomsman would go and then like brian would go and then Kent would go, and then like Steven would go, and Corey and Russ, like all my whole group of friends. And then all the lights go out, and everyone's like, "What?" And then there's a bell <laughs> ring, and then the Undertaker comes out, but he's in the same tux as the rest of us. And then I come out, and he, and then they're like, "The Undertaker's his best man." You need like, to just yeah. come out, and your Richard wedding. is really close. <laughs> you need to yeah. just come out. Oh, the come taker? down the aisle yeah. at your wedding with just it as the Undertaker in his full hat. <laughs> And jacket, and then like the music and lights and everything. Eleven and Sarah's, minutes. Sarah's just at the end of the aisle waiting for you for eleven minutes. <laughs> How great would that be? That would be the most dry epic ice. ever. Yeah, uh, that would definitely go viral. If you, if someone free idea, yeah, because there's no way Sarah would let me do that. But free idea to those of you out there, if you want to get a million YouTube hits. Somehow work the Undertaker theme song and a lot of dry ice into your wedding processional. Done. <laughs> you had done. to dress like the Undertaker too. And, the, have, the groom, and it has yeah. to, all the lights in the church have to get killed, so it's just 
pretty much dark in there with like a weird purple hue. And then like, just fog starts coming out of everywhere. And your grandma, you got to get a shot of the grandma confused. And then just, <laughs> dong, dong. <laughs> dong. Oh, church bells. No, it's the bells of the undertaker. <laughs> oh, wedding bells. Nope. And they it's wheel the you out in a coffin that you just sit up. <laughs> it's so great. By the way, side note, speaking of this, Surf's Up 2 is coming out. And it's called Wave Mania. And it's basically a crossover of WWE and Surf's Up. And it, uh, there is, all that to say, there's a Undertaker penguin. <laughs> oh my so, gosh, I just Googled it. Yes. Oh wow. my gosh. Google Undertaker I'm penguin. Getting, I'm getting this tattooed. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh Just man. get the penguin tattooed, just that. It's got, he's holding a surfboard that is shaped like a coffin. <laughs> the penguin is. That's incredible. Wow. All right. Uh, Welcome, wow. Undertaker. He's in it. The voice cast is John Cena, the Undertaker. <laughs> I've seen this in the theater. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> Imagine him going to the premiere. Oh, just really excited about, you know, Surf's Up 2, Wave Mania. No. And... Everyone else does that. And then he just slowly walks the right car. <laughs> so great. All right. That's enough. Welcome. Thank you, American Treasures, and we'll see you at the after party. All right, guys, let's take a break and then talk arrival. Boom. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter. Dot com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ziprecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So this is definitely one of my favorite subject matters to talk about is the UFO movie, sci-fi movie. Um, mm-hmm. it's definitely my favorite, 
I guess, branch of sci-fi. It would be the alien invasion, the meeting the alien for the first time, that whole scenario. Uh, it's been done a number of times in a number of different ways over the years that we've talked about on and off the show. And uh, I guess more recently, I guess it was more about space travel. We talked about uh, Interstellar a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago with the varying degrees of differing opinion. And we also have talked about this in the past and in passing more than anything, but I think it's been done uh, with Man of Steel. That's kind of a similar, what if, you know, humans came in contact with an alien kind of a movie, really, in in essence. And, And so this is definitely something that's explored often in movies. It's nothing new by any means. But I think this is definitely a new way to do this. I think it's definitely a different approach to it. It's it's not an approach that we've seen. Uh, We were coming off a summer where we had Independence Day 2, which is the exact opposite of Arrival (laughs) in every sense of the word. If you were a huge fan of Independence Day 2 and and that's your ideal alien movie, and by all means you have the right for it to be, and I can see that there is an audience for that. The big bombastic blockbuster movie uh this is not that by any means this felt like a mid-budget movie to be honest it didn't it didn't feel like any kind of uh any kind of big production which which i appreciated um but it still felt big (laughs) you know it didn't it felt isolated but it still felt big it felt massive um the -hmm. scale of this movie was huge and you only are really in one location the whole time uh, I just really liked that they could create that illusion. And I said it before, and go rewind the tape on it. We've talked about Denny Villeneuve. I, I don't, I don't know what I'll call him Denny. Um, we talked about him a lot in the past. And I think I've said in Prisoners, I said, this director is for real. Like, you can tell right mm-hmm. away. This guy, this guy knows what he's doing. And I think this movie cements that. This movie. This guy is, he's better right now than Christopher Nolan. He is. Um, he, the way, the way he worked so much into this thematically and symbolically and satirically and everything, you know, it's just mind-blowing to me. It, the, how flawlessly it came together and how uh, organic it all felt, you know. It never mm-hmm. once felt mm-hmm. like it was, there was a stretch on anything. It never once felt like, I mean... Obviously, it's a stretch of science fiction, but it never felt so far-fetched as like, oh, come on. You know, there was none of those. I mean, it just felt mm-hmm, like sure. the events were unfolding before you, and it, it really felt realistic in a sense. And um, I was just – I was blown away by this movie in several ways, but um, I think it's unrealistic in, in ways too, which we can talk about. Um, but as far as execution and filmmaking, I mean, this was great. and. Um, Acting wise, I'll talk about that. Uh, the screenplay, I'll talk about that. Production, uh, design, I'll talk about that. But there's a lot to compliment. But just my general thoughts. Really enjoyed this, and go see this. It's worth it's yeah. worth your time um, before listening to this conversation. So I'll stop you there. If you have not seen it, go see it. Yeah, come back to us. It's it's gonna be uh, hard to not spoiler talk this one. So if you haven't seen it, I would say tune back out. And check the show notes if you want some weekly recommends because it's going to be hard to talk about it. But Brian, I'd love to hear your uh, your general thoughts. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm with you guys. This is uh, this is quite an achievement. I, you know, I had a friend uh, who listens to the show text me. He came out of the out of the movie tonight and said, uh, I, th- "I mean, I I thought it was good, but it was it was really boring. It was really kind of kind of stuff tough to stick with." And I I said I I kind of I I understand what you're saying. Now I think the payoff is so strong that. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like I I think maybe an hour hour and twenty minutes in I was like this is good and I can tell that it's like an incredibly well made movie and and Denny Villeneuve or whoever, however you say it I apologize is a uh, is a force to be reckoned with if we didn't know that um, you know I don't think Richard and I really enjoyed well I don't think anybody really enjoyed Prisoners but um, Prisoners was was not a movie that I ever want to watch again. Um, Sicario is is a brilliant film, and and I, I'm excited to see what this guy's gonna do with Blade Runner. Even though I'm kind of a, against that, uh, that property to begin with, but um, I think like there's a point at which I was like, this is very good. This is a very well made movie. If it doesn't really do something here in the last act, I'm gonna be a little bit disappointed because it there's a lot of building there's a lot of building blocks that are taking place throughout the movie and if you don't pull it together it's it's gonna kind of we're all gonna come out of here saying gosh that seems like kind of a waste of time uh, and happily the last act is is perfect I mean it's a it, it's it's a fantastic finish and pulls pulls everything together so tightly um, in ways that I I totally did not expect I did not see where this was going. Um, at all, and I, I, I kind of, and I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I kind of thought we were headed towards, uh, like a really dark, grim ending. Like it just had that feeling. The movie had the feeling as, as a whole of like, she's. I thought she was gonna figure out how to make this work, right? As literally as the, as World War was taking place, and it was too late. Like that's what that was kind of the, the theme that I was, oh, I was picking up on. That would be so, yeah. So that's like I kind of had this like a little bit of a sense of dread of like mm, this could be one of those movies that really leaves us um, coming out feeling like man that was very well made and also I'm just gonna go home and cry like it was just really brutal. Um, so I was happy that it didn't it didn't quite go that direction. I did not expect at all um, to be to be really put through the emotional ringer like. Yeah this movie put me through i mean there's like this is like if terrence malick understood narrative um it, it, i mean he really there's so much like tree of life kind of stuff that you can you can draw from or, or compare to within the movie except it's it's like peak tree of life you know what i mean like it, it really gets it gets that stuff right and so um when you're adding in for me like i love sci-fi i love heady sci-fi so much um, I love this cast. I love the director. And then when you add in a really heartbreaking but poignant family element to it, I mean, that's like that's kind of right up my alley. That's a, that's a very easy win for me. So, um, look, I'm I'm blown away. This is the top. I don't know if it's my number one movie of the year. I'm trying not to figure that stuff out until we get through this Oscar season. But it is it's easily in the top five for me. And and um. It, I don't know that it's going to be one that we can say like, "Hey, everybody needs to go see this movie." Because I, like I said, I, I, I think it w- it could be easy for you to get uh, kind of bored throughout or get lost in what was happening. Um, but if you're 
you know, if you're not, if you're a cinephile, if you're somebody who goes to the movies more than than once a month, this is a to me, this is kind of a this is a no brainer. Uh, this is uh, I'm I'm really high on this one, Richard. Yeah, no, this is uh, you know, I I, I know I was and uh, Brian was higher than than uh, on Interstellar than you were. The Interstellar mm-hmm. for me, just to preface, like uh, like you were talking about, Brian. Like it all at the end, it all has to like. Click there, there can't be a reason where we're just like, oh. Sure. And Interstellar for me, it like up until the third act, I was totally on board, and then it just literally, I mean, it 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 mm-hmm. jumped out the window for me at the end. Sure. And that, I lo- that's and, my and, only complaint with it. Sure. And I'm on record. I love the third act. I think it's wheels off, but it's beautifully wheels off. Um, for me with the Interstellar, I, I was I'm totally on board with that third act, but I totally I get why. Um, people, some people weren't willing to go for that ride, I guess. But uh, yeah, that that all being said, I mean, I think this is is a better overall film and a in a in a far more impressive film uh, because of just, I mean, it was made for like what, like fifty million bucks. <laughs> like it was pretty low budget, um, and it doesn't try to do a lot of the things that Interstellar does. I'm not I'm not trying to say that, but uh, I mean, this is a a kind of a unicorn of a movie because the $50 million movie really doesn't exist anymore. Right. right. Um, things either cost 1 million or 200 <laughs> million. Yeah. Um, and it was like, Oh gosh, I just love having this kind of movie back in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously there's allusions to contact um, everywhere, but uh, it's, it's a much better movie than contact uh, th- though. It has its fans. Uh, I think this is, this will be, uh, this will be better. And it's, yeah. I you know, uh, Prisoners was a movie that I always want to call it Neighbors for some reason because I don't know. I <laughs> Mix those two Rogan. movies together! Wow, yeah. what a treat! Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I uh, Prisoners is right. I'm with you, but that's like such a really a, a huge. He, uh, how do I say this director's name again? I'm always I'm always we, I just need to hear him. Denny. Okay. Denny is his first okay. name. Denny is fantastic at these larger scale film films with really intimate performances out of like name actors you know i thought you mm-hmm. jack was great and and uh and obviously in, in prisoners and in casting this is is fantastic too so i i uh you know i hope this isn't a forgotten you know and i i'm on record as saying uh you know jeremy renner's not a movie star though he's a very good actor and maybe there should be more uh, fifty million dollar movies because this is the kind of perfect thing for him to be in because mm-hmm, he mm-hmm, can yeah. uh, he can do what he does really well uh, and uh, it's gonna be the it's kind of the Whitaker essence as well uh, this year with uh, yeah with uh, Rogue, Rogue One, One coming yeah. In here yeah so so yeah this is a movie that I enjoyed so much a because it's quite good but b uh, because these movies you know don't exist and it's compared to Interstellar a lot but Interstellar is a movie that those do exist. Those those 150 million dollar movies. Uh, this was just like, oh, it's a movie for adults with a good size but not insane budget, and it's practical and it's interesting and it's thought provoking. And I'm gonna think about it for three days after I leave the film. And that's I just so rarely have that feeling. And I see 60 movies a year, and I just so rarely have the feeling where so many of them are out of my brain. Even ones I like are out of my brain an hour later, and this one wasn't at all. So I'll yeah. stop talking now. Yeah, it um 
I mean, it puts you through it. This is a kind of, this is exactly, I was trying to think of why Renner fit in this so well, or why this worked. Renner, he's not a lead, he, he, he can't carry, um, he's not Matt Damon. He can't do Bourne. Like, he's not that right. kind of, right. he's not going to lead an action movie, uh, or a superhero movie for that matter. Um, he's not, he doesn't have the acting chops to really even lead a, an Oscar. I mean, he was in, uh, the Hurt Locker, but I mean, there were a lot of other actors in it and, uh, his performance was good, but I still know if he, I mean, he has the charisma and the appeal and he has, he bring enough to the table, but I feel like he's going to do well if he's the lead male in a female driven movie, you know? Like the sure. like where you're not relying on him the whole time, but he's still there enough to where he gets his screen time. Uh, I mean, this this felt perfect for him. And uh, hats off to the director because, I mean, you just never know what you're going to get with him, uh, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. is he even mm-hmm. going to open his mouth in this yeah. movie? Or am I going to, you know, is he going to be screaming? Or is he, I don't, I just don't know. I guess that's kind of to credit. Um, he, he does different things, but uh, he felt great in this. and. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, guys. Um, I was just really blown away by this the vision of the simplicity of this movie. Uh, just the simplicity of the actual craft itself and the, the one color of the craft. I mean, obviously, it's probably most uh, resemblant of the monolith in 2001, but mm-hmm. it, uh, it's obviously a different shape. And it's an actual craft and not just an object. So there is definitely kind of that ominous feeling to it, that mysterious feeling to it, which I I thought was great. And I, I definitely, in a way, District 9 kind of did that, where the, the ship kind of comes down and stays there and nobody knows why, uh, that whole scenario. This kind of did it in a way that um, felt more eerie because there was no aliens like walking around anywhere. You know, there was, it was just like this object appeared and it was there. Like that was it. Like did the, did the public even know that they were aliens? Like they knew the crafts came down, but did they know like, Oh, there are aliens on board. We're communicating with them and all that. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. It just felt so much creepier. The fact that there was so much more unknown, uh, I guess. And so that was great. Um, the actual uh, location of the craft was gorgeous. I mean, the one the one that they kind of center the film around is mm-hmm. beautiful. I mean, that opening shot of the craft when they first arrive there, and it's like the fog is coming off over the mountains, and the and the craft is like there hovering, you know, and it's that huge helicopter shot. Oh my gosh, that was. Yeah. One of the better shots. And I heard this guy is shooting the Han Solo movie, the guy who shot this movie. So that makes me really excited Ooh. to see what he's going to do with Star Wars. That's interesting. Cool. So that's cool. So anyway, um, I just love the vision of this. And Richard, to your point with Contact, um, I love Contact, the movie. I hate Robert Zemeckis's visual style in almost every way. But I, I feel like I can look past that because I like contact so much. Like contact for me takes a long time to get going, but once it gets going, like once the signal happens or whatever, it's like for me it's one of the most interesting sci-fi movies from basically from when they discover the signal till the end. I I just love that how it 
was, and I do like the ending too of Contact. I think it's really ambiguous too, and it's uh, controversial. I mean, so is this in, in a way, and we'll talk about that. But um, Contact has one of the most. Uh, just while I'm talking about Con, it has one of the most kind of shocking moments that I can remember in a movie that I that I didn't when when they actually. Can we spoil contact, guys? It's been twenty. I don't know. Years. It's been twenty. Uh, <laughs> let's. You know what? Let's wait one more year. We'll come. Let's mark down the date. We'll come back um, in twenty seventeen. Spoil. So keep it yeah. spoiler free. One more year. Ken. When they when they have it when they actually blow up the actual craft or whatever it is when the terrorist blows it up. I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking about that scene. You know, like I can't. I almost can't even watch it because it's so shocking and realistic to me like like i feel like something like that really could happen like that we build a craft that the aliens sent us plans for or build an object and somebody a terrorist goes to blow it up or a religious somebody for religious reasons goes to blow it up because it's not god that we're communicating with it's aliens or whatever you know uh, i mean i just thought that was so uh, i don't know it just felt so like it would really happen and again shocking like in that movie everything's building up to that moment you know they're building the they're in contact they're building the actual craft and everything and they're having to you know tear apart different parts of the code to realize different things and everything and when it finally comes together and she's about to test it out it all good you know and i guess it's a bit of a cop-out in contact for there to be a second uh ship or whatever or object or uh, that was kind of a cop out, but mm-hmm. anyway, contact worth your time. I mean, it, it deals with the same subject matter of like communication. I guess the main theme of arrival is really just communication. It's how we communicate with each other, how we communicate with people who are different from us, how you can communicate with somebody who you can't even talk to. Um, they did a viral marketing campaign for arrival where they put two people in the same room that spoke different languages and they just tried they told them to communicate and it's a really cool kind of thing to to see you can check it out on youtube and just kind of how you put somebody from germany and somebody from japan in the same room who the languages are vastly different none of the vocabulary is the same but through body language and and all that they can actually carry on a conversation or at least understand each other in some capacity so this kind of a uh big more broad way to do that you know <laughs> with aliens and with humans um if hypothetically this situation ever did happen where we contacted uh, another planet or got a message or a ship came to earth or something like that how would you go about that uh what would mm-hmm. be the first line of thinking uh, would you be defensive right at the beginning? I instinctually, I would think if any twelve craft came down from the skies and landed on twelve random places around the world, instinctually, I would think we would just blow them out of the sky, right? But I feel like uh, more realistically, you would say, "No, guys, let's think about this. We don't know what these are. We don't know if they're bombs. We don't know what's going on." So. I think communication would probably be the first priority. What's your thought about how kind of they approached the handling the aliens, you know? Um, 
because that's one way. I mean, you can take it 50 different ways. There have been movies about every different way you can take it, you know, with Close Encounters and with, uh, with Independence Day. Um, they definitely react different when aliens come down, you know, in every different movie. So how did you mm-hmm. feel like they handled it this time? I thought they was very respectful in a way of the people from another planet. You know what I mean? Like we weren't scared of them or hostile at all at the beginning. Uh, we were just more uh, understanding, if that makes sense. So how did you guys, sure. how did you feel about that, Brian? Yeah, I think that was a, I think that sets the movie on its course, right? Like that, I think that's what differentiates it between, you know, Independence Day or uh, something, anything like that, you know, any of those, those kind of alien attack movies. When that doesn't happen, when they settle, when the alien ships settle and then they're just kind of there and then we're having these very brief glimpses at what communications is like and, and, and more so like what how the world reacts to it and it hasn't turned into like explosions and such yet. I think that is what, I mean, that's what sets the movie apart. Like that's what makes it different from um, every other alien landing sort of movie that we get. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely respectful of another, (laughs) I don't know if we call it another culture. I don't know, but uh, it's also, I, I would I guess I would hope that that's how we would react in that situation, yeah. but maybe I don't have a lot of faith that that is in fact how we would react. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, would that really happen? Oh, aliens, aliens are here. All right, we'll call a translate. You know, call the person that we that translated Cantonese for us or whatever. Like, you, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is that really what yeah. would happen or not? Like, that's what I'm confused about. Um, I think we'd probably get a panel of not just any. But the best Vine stars, and just see—I mean, because that's a universal language right, of comedy. Right. Yeah, and they don't have anything else to do anymore. So. No, so I think we get five to eight of the best Vine stars. Um, you got to get the black people be like guy. Um, a couple of those, uh, you know, boy band looking dudes as well, and just see what they what ground they can break with the alien. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was just a really interesting thing to explore is just kind of how you would even approach approaching the aliens and the fact that uh they can only go in at certain times was interesting to me the fact that they there was um basically two people there to communicate with them at per time and i thought an interesting part of it was the fact that she um had to communicate with them in person like they bring they actually bring her the audio recording of what they sound like you know and they say can you translate this she says no i have to be there like bs right yeah that's just like her wanting to see the aliens am i right am i crazy there or is that just me i I mean i think that was like no i I definitely need to oh okay i definitely need to see these myself like i can't translate this you know what i mean i get yeah she could have no, been serious, I mean, but maybe not. Like I, I felt like it was just a ploy for her to be involved in the thing. Like, uh, rather than her just saying "sorry, I can't translate it," she'll be like, "No, let me just see. Let me just yeah. be along for the ride. You never know if I can or not. You know, I don't know." But I think they justified her reasoning for oh, yeah. that, just because, like, with the, the you know the whiteboards and all the stuff that she did. I don't think you can. That doesn't convey. You know, she can't just be like, "Just take a whiteboard in there and write words on it." I mean, I don't think that. 
I think they they made it was not a MacGuffin to have her there. I don't think. I, I, think I, I feel like any linguist, uh, maybe not translator, but any linguist wouldn't say, "Well, I need to go to Germany to hear d- the German," you know, rather than hearing that. I don't know. That's just I took it as her just thinking of an excuse to to get on. Um, but either way, um, she did a great job in this, Amy Adams. Um, oh, she's so she, great. Is she the front runner at this point? Like best actress? I mean, holy crap. Yeah. I mean, it's like I think it's her and Emma Stone for La La Land and Ruth Nega for um for Loving. Like those are the three names that you hear in every every Oscar. And then, and then two out of the they're gonna have to work it out with the other two spots between two of the four Ghostbusters. <laughs> but they haven't decided. Yeah. Melissa yeah. McCarthy, because it was such a stretch for her to <laughs> play that she role to down. not fall down it was pretty yeah. <laughs> that's oscar worthy she can make it through 90 minutes without once falling that's oscar um <laughs> i mean it dealt with the, the communication part uh, first of all i guess we should uh, we're already in spoilers aren't we yeah we're already yes, in spoilers yeah, yeah. so we're spo- another spoiler second spoiler award warning right now like mega ultimate like you'll never want to see this movie if you hear this Again, uh, spoiler coming up. Uh, so, how do we how do we think the aliens looked, <laughs> guys? Um, that's always the thing with these movies too is your interpretation of what alien life would be. Uh, my personal interpretation is that I think they would be humanoid. Honestly, I, I feel like um, maybe not be humans, but I feel like the basic, I guess, uh, appendages and eyes and mouth and breathing and all that i feel like any i don't i don't want to say alien but any anyone who's wanting to come to earth would have that kind of stuff because you would know what earth is right does that make sense like you would you would have to live on a planet with an atmosphere uh, probably and things like that so in my opinion aliens are at least humanoid in form of some kind um, this is definitely not humanoid in any way. This is more sea creature, um, arachnid kind of creature. Or is that a letdown? The actual look of the um, aliens to you? Anyone? For me, I, I like that because it made the movie not about what the, the creature design is. And I, I appreciated that. Like, There's just so much more at stake here than what, um, than what you get in the the average alien movie that that I like. I like the genre. This has got something more to say, and it's trying to do something different than what most of those movies do. And so I kind of like that the aliens are kind of, are for the most part, are, are, are relatively kept at bay and that they are an interesting look, but not, like, you're not, no one's coming out of this being like, man, I got to get an action figure of the weird aliens from Arrival. Like, that's just not, I guess that's not the point of the movie to me. And so I, I appreciated that. I thought that was, I thought that was carefully considered and, and really well executed. Yeah, that's true. Not make, trying to not make him a distraction. Right. Mm-hmm. I also liked his choice of keeping him in like the fog or like behind the glass too. Yes. I know that was a yeah. smart choice of kind of that separation between the humans mm-hmm. and the, uh, the creatures. Well, Richard, did you think they looked good? I thought they looked like giant. Uh, I don't know, like a hand. They're kind of squiddish. Yeah. 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 yeah no, I uh, 
I, I'm with Brian though, 100%. I was kind of like disappointed for about 30 seconds, and then I moved on thinking about the movie. And then after seeing the entire movie and seeing everything in context, I was kind of like, eh, I'm glad they were what they were. Yeah. Because they, it, it yeah. wasn't another thing to think about. It's not the point of the movie. It and they're still kind of mysterious predator. enough to where I don't really remember. I mean, I mean, remember what they looked like, but it's not. I mean, it didn't give too much away. Like, on a second viewing, I- I'm still anticipating what the aliens look like. Does that make sense? Uh, yep. Kind of like Jaws, you know? I mean, that's always the example we use, but you're always still kind of scared of the shark because you still feel like you haven't seen it all, even though you've seen the movie. So uh, that is, that's good as well. I, I really like the choice of the alien. I didn't even know if there were going to be like actual organic creatures in this. I, I didn't know if it was going to yeah, be sure you're communicating with computers or some kind of AI or some kind of Android or, you know, um, I don't know, but sure. I was, I'm always interested at the choice of organic creatures. Like if aliens were real, would they be like an organic, like a physical being that you could, if you shot it, it would die kind of a thing. Or would it be mm-hmm. more of like, Oh, what movie was it where the aliens were like thoughts or something like that? Does that make sense? K-Pax. What? No, that's Kevin. K-Pax. K-Pax. The aliens, the aliens were actually like uh, in the air or something like that. Was it Interstellar? Um, sort of. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. There's if you think of it, listener. Uh, remember, but. The actual aliens weren't like physical at all. Like it was like consciousness or something like that. Something really crazy. So um, there is definitely different ways to interpret that, and I enjoyed the interpretation here of that. Um, what did we think of the daughter cancer uh, flashbacks and things like that? I mean, obviously at the end it's all twist around, but at the time, what did you think about? Uh, for me, I just obviously I'd say, okay, this is going to come in the ending somehow. This is going to have something to do with her discovering a how to communicate with them or b how to defeat them in some way, and uh, kind of the opposite of that. It didn't really have to do with either of those. But um, what did you think it was going to be when she, like, I mean, they intro the movie with that, with the fact that her daughter dies, and uh, you know, in her young not. Not in her young, young years, but when her daughter was still, you know, in elementary school age and, um, or, you know, preteen. And so you think that that already happened in the past and that she's now experiencing the events of arrival after that. But what's so interesting about this is, um, all the hints at, uh, at that, like the palindrome of her name being Hannah, uh, I wondered about the emphasis of that so much at the beginning of the movie. I always thought that was something that you didn't think about. The fact that it's she explains the one that's the same backwards as it is forwards. There's no mm-hmm. real end to it. Um, the actual language that the aliens use, the written language, is mm-hmm. circular in itself, and it's the basically the snake eating itself uh, mm-hmm. symbol, you know, and that in it in and of itself represents infinity or infinite possibility or no ending and so there's a hint right there but um like you said earlier Brian it it really just comes together at the end just so beautifully and like um basically 
I guess kind of explain your interpretation of it. Of the twist. I mean, if you if you would have I wouldn't consider it a twist because it really is more of an explanation. A twist would be like, wait, nothing is as it seems, but this is more like here's why it is like it is. In yeah, my opinion. I think but I think the uh I think that the knowledge that these flashbacks are actually flashboards like that that hit me because it, I think all of the ramifications of that all flood into you at at one mm-hmm. in one moment like you're just suddenly every we've we've seen millions of movies that have flashbacks like that and how those yeah. those past experiences have uh consequences and ramifications of our decisions and our our lives down the you know down the stretch in the future what's happened in the past what all that sort of stuff we've seen that so many times and it can be done really well um but that was a I mean, for me in the theater, there's only like three other people in the in the theater when I saw this, and I literally I go, oh snap, you know something like like oh my gosh, like I can't believe like that hit me hard because then it's like it's not just that the narrative has now shifted; it's also that, um, for me at least, like I immediately was like, okay, so I'm trying to piece together how that how, where we go from there, and it's like a million thoughts at once of like, oh crap, so if this is if this is that then that is this and that is and it's like this a goes to b and b goes to c and on down the list and it very quickly for me like i'm connecting all these dots while it's taking place on the on the screen and it's it's heavy man like it's a lot of stuff to take in in a in a just from one line of dialogue mm-hmm. what was the line when she when she's in the 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 ship with i think it was whichever one of the aliens didn't die and uh and he says or she's, you know, it's cutting back and forth, and she's seeing these visions, and she says, "I don't understand who is this child." And that mm-hmm. is when it hits really hard of like, okay, so that's her daughter. We know it's her daughter. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. But, but now, okay, for me at least, like, okay, that means that it's got to be the future, and that means that that's this, and that means that, and it's like yep. all these conclusions get drawn from from literally from one line the, of dialogue. Yep, so efficient. And that that's the whole movie right there. Yeah, that's what totally. it all just it goes totally. from like this has been kind of entertaining to like oh my mind's a little blown right now. Absolutely, I thought that was yeah. such a clever use of just screenwriting and narrative structure for Denny was to take that what you're so used to as a moviegoer of the flashbacks and mm-hmm. literally invert it, where yeah. it's not. Yeah. I mean. When it gets inverted, you don't know if you're actually what you're watching is the past, present, or the future. You don't know what any right, of it is, right. you know. And that's so clever to think about because on the second viewing, you don't know. I mean, it could be anything. Um, I, I just never really thought about how you could just flip that on its head like that mm-hmm. and have it be so effective. And to work weave that into this movie, wow, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> to, right. To th- that kind of like a twist is is awesome, but. Man, how she saves the world and everything, isn't that kind of the most the biggest paradox in the movie is how she actually gives the phone number to the Chinese official because how would she have the phone number if she was hadn't experienced it yes. yet in the yeah. future? And there's always one of those in these types of movies, I feel like. Yeah, anytime it's time travel, yes, you're going to have that. <laughs> because once you have time traveled, then... <laughs> then you have time travel. Like once you have time travel, then that exists somewhere in the time loop. And that's where 
that's where so many time travel movies and TV shows and stories, it's where they fall apart is trying to like kind of go back and cover their tracks essentially. And, and if you, that, that is an incredibly difficult maneuver to pull off to really, truly make it kind of an endless loop that, um, that you can't, I'm sure there's a, like, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson can come up with a reason why, um, that isn't real and that that can't exist. But for, for me, with my pretty average IQ, like I was like, Oh my gosh, that totally works. You know? So that's all I'm going to ask for it. You know? So, I mean, long and short of it is basically that we, in their world, time, time is not linear time. There's no beginning, middle and end. There's no, like, say if you were to lay out a ruler, there's obviously zero and then there's 12, right? And then there's say six is probably the middle of your life. Well, in this, it's a round circle. It, the ruler is connected at both ends, and there is the, the past, present, and future are all happening simultaneously. And that's crazy. I mean, that's what kind of what Interstellar was trying to do, in my opinion, you know? Trying to tell us was that time uh, is, almost a a, is almost a, a figment of Earth, you know, uh, in a way. I mean, you can warp time with your speed, literally. Einstein proved that. So. Uh, it, this went about it so much better than Interstellar, in my opinion, as far as that goes. Um, it just, it didn't feel, it it didn't, it didn't have the, uh, the far-fetchedness of Interstellar. I don't know. It just, it just did so much better job of, of making it more realistic than that, for me, at least. Um, what did we think of the birdcage? aspect besides the uh canary in a coal mine theory or is that more of a signal for the uh aliens i thought it was uh i i've actually heard it was a callback to project bluebird um but what did you guys interpret that as the bird in the cage yeah i mean i uh i I, that's one thing i didn't really know how to interpret that you can i'm not too familiar with that the the project bluebird piece um I that was a little gap gap for me, I you know in in terms of trying to understand that the lo- how the logic of the aliens would even comprehend that. Yeah, I felt I felt like maybe it was a peace offering at first, you know. Right. No, I, I and the, the intent, fact that they know right. that as long as the birds there, that it's peaceful like interaction, you know, maybe. Sure. That was just a little bit of a leap to me because. I don't know. If I went on a strange planet and they brought any other creature in, I would assume it was going to kill me. But that's <laughs> maybe just my own uh, paranoia there. This was um, Project Bluebird was basically like interrogation. Like they were, they basically okay. uh, experimented with interrogation to in order to get what they want. Does that make sense? Uh, so sure. in this example, it would be like, how would the government be able to interrogate the aliens in order to get what they want uh, to get a okay. weapon or to have them help them give them their, their technology or, or things like that it's basically how do you make that kinds of stuff to your advantage like onto your side so um i guess this it's sort of an interrogation the kind of meetings between them the two but again i took it as a peace offering like with the with the uh, creatures or 
really maybe uh, represents Luis or Amy Adams and her coming out of the cage. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I, I can understand kind of the film symbolism of it, and I can understand the human side of it. Mm-hmm. I just kind of was trying to grasp how that would be communicated to the alien. I just thought it was a little bit of a of a gap. But what else are you going to do there, you know? So, But no, I, it didn't didn't ruin the movie for me or anything just i remember kind of putting an eyebrow up at that point man but i, I like the movie quite a bit i thought the actual language that they created for the for the yeah creatures was incredible like mm-hmm. i was mm-hmm. blown away about how real i mean how it all made sense about how it's a circle but each little iteration of the circle is a meaning and then those circles can create in sentences and so you can put a basically one circle that could mean a whole sentence, you know. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. thought that was so clever, and um, they had to have like linguistic consultants. Oh, they so did, and they actually yeah. created a dictionary of a hundred words that cool. she's actually using in the movie with the iPad, you know, to create sentences. Like that's an actual dictionary that they created with the symbols. So I think you can go Very online cool. and look at it, or create your own sentences and things like that. But I, just, man, that was so. That was like so alien, you know. It felt so different. Like it felt like an alien language, to be honest. You know, it's like it's not, it's not like um, it doesn't look like hieroglyphics or something like that, you know. But it's still a, a written form of communication. And um, I guess sea creatures are a big influence on this, and the fact that there's a, um, they kind of look like them, but they're also kind of exist in like the ink and everything that they're um living in. Or using to write out everything, it just kind of had a very ocean oceanographic feel to the aliens. Um, so, having said all that, what else do we have to say about this one? Um, there's a lot to go here. I, the actual opening of the eye, I felt like that was a big prevalent thing here. There were several shots that kind of resemble that, when openings of doors kind of open horizontally rather than vertically a lot of the time. That was a really cool sequence. That was very well done. And, yeah, and the actual ship is shaped like a contact lens in a way, too. So that's kind of a hint. I don't know. It's just kind of opening your eyes to uh, a different possibility or another pathway is kind of or Luis is kind of opening her mind throughout the entire movie or arriving if you will. And I thought an interesting thing was actually as they were learning the language, how they were dreaming in the language too, or how they talked about that. Like I never thought about that too. If you actually learn another language, you could be dreaming in another language yeah. subconsciously. That's crazy to think about. But they also talk about the aliens' motives for this. Like, why would the aliens come down? Right? Like that's the big question. That's the, that is the question of the movie. And mm-hmm. the answer is that. The aliens needed us later. They need us in, like in a three thousand years. years. Yeah, they yeah. need us later, but they wanted to gain our trust now, so that in three thousand years we would know who they were when they needed our help. Because they again, there's no time isn't linear to them. They can see past, present, and future, so they know everything. I guess that's going to happen in those times. So, man, really creative too, as well. So. I'm going to hit a grade here. I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts on this, but um, I loved how simple this movie was, you know, how small it felt, but again, how big it felt. Man, the one scene where they actually arrive at the ship for the first time, and they're actually underneath it, you know, and just Mm -hmm. how small Mm -hmm. the people feel compared to the massive ship, 
I mean, that was just that was just so gorgeous. I mean, I can't get over how well done the actual outdoor like scenery, scenic scenes were done in this movie, the landscapes and everything. It was it was great. It was very great to look at. So I'm blown away by this, and I'm gonna give it an A. That's mine. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna go. Yeah. I'm gonna go A as well. What's up, Brian? Yeah, for me, for me, it's an A, A plus. I mean, it's this is uh, this is high, high quality. Um, and and the like I said, that last boy, that last fifteen twenty minutes is a is just a killer, and in, in every sense of the word, like every emotion. So I I'm I'm very very high on this. What you give it an A? You said. Yes, yeah. A A plus. Yeah, all three, all three A's. All right, Arrival. Three A's and uh, worth seeing, worth seeing again, and one we'll be talking about later this year, I'm sure. Didn't do very well though. In the theater, it did okay. It made twenty five mil on, yeah, a, on a fifty million budget. budget. Yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah. So, oh, it'll make a budget. I thought this would be a bigger movie though. I thought this would be. I thought it would do well in the box office. Better. Kind of had did. a confusing marketing campaign. Doctor Strange and, and Trolls both beat it again. Yeah, and it had already been out for a week. Right. No, I think it just it, – I don't think it was appealing. Even for us, the first trailer, I thought, I don't know, but something about that doesn't look all that appealing. Something's, something's wrong with that. The second one was much, much better. But I just think – I think these are movies that are they're hard to sell to the public. I'm thrilled that it made $25 because like Richard said, we need $50 million movies so badly. Like we, we've got to have more of those. Um, so I'm, I'm pulling for just about any movie that comes out that, that is priced in that range. Um, so, but I, I think it's fine. It's and made 12 million overseas. So it's going to more than break even after this, this week. And it'll end up being a modest success, which is fine. That's, you can't build a You can't build a studio on these kind of movies, but you can absolutely use them as, uh, as supplement. I think. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's hit a break and do re- weekly recommends guys. Mike uh, Mike Myers uh, has a book out on it's kind of a love letter to Canada. It's like part memoir, part uh, Canadian pop culture history, and uh, it's a really great audible um, audiobook for driving around. It, it's pretty short; it's about six hours. Pretty short for an, for an audiobook, but uh, but really funny and interesting, and and uh, a medium that I never really thought about Mike Myers operating in would be kind of the written word. I mean, I'm, I know he's written screenplays, but uh, he he's a very good writer, and it's a great. He he performs the audio audiobook, and you 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 uh, forget what a kind of great uh, vocal talent he is. Um, you know, post love guru, and uh, it's uh, it's a really. I I, I had a blast with it. It kind of made me rediscover uh, how much I love Mike Myers for for Wayne's World, and the early Austin Powers stuff on SNL. So uh, I I heartily recommend Mike Myers Canada. Yeah, Brian, what about you? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to recommend a, uh, a podcast. I, I was a guest this week on the Geek 101 podcast, the second or third time I've done that, uh, with, with friends of ours that listen to the show, and um, we've, we've had some influence on them, which I love. I love to see all these other podcasts that have sprang up, not because of what we're doing, but maybe that we've had some sort of influence on them. So uh, I was on with, with Ariel, the host, and we talked the Harry Potter universe. So that is out there right now. It's... Uh, Again, Geek 101 podcast, and you should uh, you should check it out. Nerds! I love you, Harry! <laughs> We're going to do Harry Potter soon. 
We just got to get Kent to see them. It's going to be a good time. All right. Well, where can we find you online, Brian? You can find me on the Twitter at BGill12. You can find my writing at madamamoviespodcast.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at richardbarden.com or the Madam Matt Movies Podcast newsletter, which will be hitting your mailbox very soon. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on the Twitter at Kent Garrison. Find me online at madamatmoviespodcast.com, where you can find our episodes and find our weekly recommends and all that. And you can find us online at um, the iTunes. Hit subscribe, leave us five stars, tell your friends, and uh, help grow the show. Again, keep tweeting us, keep emailing us, continue the conversation off the air. We enjoy that as well. And we will see you next time at the cinema. And we'll be talking Fantastic Beasts, maybe? Yeah? I think so. And, and I think also where to where to find them. So, hmm. keep on. And, yeah. and where to find them. That's correct. Fantastic yeah, Beasts and the sequel, where to find them. All right. We'll see you then. All right. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me die, yeah.